Hey, welcome to the Oregonian and Oregon Live's new podcast, The Recruiting Trail, hosted by me, Andrew Nimick. This podcast will take a look at recruiting for the Ducks, Beavers, and Oregon High School football and basketball with regularly scheduled shows featuring players and coaches as guests, but also breaking news quick hitter podcasts for big commitments and breaking news on the recruiting trail. We're less than a week away from the early signing period, so it's the perfect time to launch a podcast about recruiting. And I want to start with Oregon's class, the Oregon Ducks. And of and of course, we're starting with the Oregon Ducks because they have the number five class in the nation, according to 24-7 Sports, the number three class in the nation, according to Rivals. And yet, I sense a little bit of panic from Oregon fans. They've lost back-to-back games. Oregon's lost a pair of commitments in the last couple weeks here in Kyron Ware Hudson, the Under Armour All-American wide receiver. He flipped to USC and Jadarius Perkins, the number three junior college corner in the country. He committed to Oregon, picked up offers from Alabama, Florida, Auburn. And honestly, if you gave me a hundred dollars a few months ago, uh, even a, a few weeks ago and said, Nemec, who's the guy that's most likely to decommit? I would have put money on Jadarius Perkins. Now, that doesn't mean I expected it, but at the same time, with some of the offers he had, it made sense that he might be a guy to go. So no massive, massive surprise. And then we have to go back and look at that ranking. Number three in the nation on Rivals, number five in the nation on 24-7 Sports. It's the highest rated class in program history, but there hasn't been a lot of new commitments lately. And so some of that excitement has kind of uh, kind of ebbed and flowed in this class with their commitments. And right now, people are kind of at that down cycle where it's like, yeah, they lost two commitments. They, you know, they had a top five class and are, are they going to lose guys? And and I don't think that's the way to look at this. I think it's time to take a 10,000 foot view at this recruiting class and see what Oregon has, what's working for the Ducks, because the reality is. If Oregon would have signed even one of their big names this week, if they had an uncommitted player coming into this this last week, if Ty Thompson, the five-star quarterback, would commit on signing day, if he were an uncommitted guy and chose Oregon on signing day, Oregon fans would lose their minds. If Kingsley Suamataia were to commit to Oregon on signing day, Oregon fans would lose their minds. And it's almost as if the fan base a little bit is punishing the staff for getting some of these guys early. Oregon's had their, no pun intended, ducks in a row for a long time here. It's been the case since this summer that Oregon had the number one collection of wide receivers and tight ends in the nation. Oregon's had Ty Thompson since March. He's become a five-star prospect since then, but he's been lined up for months. Kingsley Suamataia was a guy who people thought was going to choose Oregon for more than a year. Last year, that guy was Noah Sewell. Everybody thought... Noah Sewell eventually will choose Oregon. Yes, other schools are making a push. Georgia made a late push. But at the end of the day, I just can't see him not following Panay. This year's guy was Kingsley. So even Kingsley's commitment that has happened this fall, the five-star offensive tackle, the first ever five-star offensive lineman in the history of the program for Oregon, even he kind of seemed like a given. And so I think Oregon fan needs to have a little perspective. If you have to trick your brain and say, okay, I'm going to pretend like Ty Thompson when he signs is a new commitment, then you'll be thrilled with the class because it's the best class ever. And it's worth reminding fans prior to Mario Cristobal becoming head coach three recruiting cycles ago, Oregon had never landed the number one recruiting class in the Pac-12. 
they're about to do it for a third straight year. And when we look back at previous results, and I don't necessarily think fans fully comprehend this idea, when you look back at the previous results, you say, well, what's the big difference between the number five class in the nation this year, maybe number nine or 10 last year, compared to the average class they got in years past that were 16, 17, 18, 19, 20 in the top 25? And the reality is the gap is absolutely huge. And I don't think, again, I don't think the average fan realizes this year, for example, Oregon has the number three recruiting class in the nation on rivals. They have 16 four and five star prospects. They have two five star prospects on rivals, Kingsley Suamataia and five star quarterback Ty Thompson. Then they have 14 four star prospects. Go and look. I go. I went ahead and tweeted it earlier uh, this week. I went ahead and tweeted a screen grab of rivals rankings for 17, 18, 19, and 20, right around the range Oregon used to be all the time. And you'll notice those teams have between one and four four-star commitments. The gap between finishing five, six, seven, eight, nine compared to even 18, 19, 20, 21, can be double-digit blue-chip prospects. And I don't think when we look back that fans really understand what that means. And I, and I, I tried to break this down in an article for the Oregonian and Oregon Live this week that looked at this, this current team. Because people are saying, what's going on with this team? Why are they struggling? What's the issue? They just want a Rose Bowl. Well, first of all, we have to look at the fact that they lost Justin Herbert. They lost the entire offensive line. They lost Troy Dye, who was the heart and soul of the defense for multiple years. They had Panay Sewell opt out, and I know he's part of that offensive line, but it's worth noting they had arguably the number one offensive lineman in the country opt out, and they had three defensive backs who were supposed to go to the NFL opt out. That's huge. That's huge. Then you take a look at the recruiting results, and as I just mentioned, if you lose two, three, four consensus four-star guys from your recruiting classes from 2017 and 2018, that might be half of your blue chip haul from those years, even if those classes were top 20, because top 20 classes, again, 17 through 22-ish, usually only have three or four blue chip guys. Panay Sewell was a blue chip guy. Brady Breeze in the class of 2016, blue chip guy. Thomas Graham Jr., cornerback, blue chip guy. Javon Holland, blue chip guy. That was roughly, give or take a handful, just a couple of players in each of those classes, that's roughly the main crux of why you were rated in the top 20 and not in the 30s or 40s. Because the difference between 20 and 40 is sometimes only three or four prospects, three or four four-star guys. Those guys are gone. And you take a look at what's on the field for Oregon right now. The offense for Oregon right now has zero returning starters who were blue chip prospects on this team now they have blue chip players they have blue chip prospects playing they're just true sophomores true freshmen and redshirt freshmen their starters they have zero returning starters who were blue chip prospects the closest one and, and i've had some pushback on this people say jalen red is a returning starter and he was a blue chip get people were excited when he committed i don't think people realize jalen red was a four-star on rivals on 24-7 Sports, he was rated a three-star cornerback. That is their most celebrated recruit right now that's a returning starter on offense. And it's a similar picture on the defensive side of the ball. Oregon's average star rating on the defensive side of the ball is 3.5 stars. They have fewer 
fewer blue chip recruits playing than they do three-star recruits playing right now on the defense. And I took a look at the 19, the 19 defensive players who most often play. And everybody automatically thinks of Kayvon Thibodeau. Everybody automatically thinks of Diamador Lenore and Noah Sewell and says they've got plenty of blue chip talent. Oregon on defense this year is returning and is playing just one upperclassman who's a returning starter who is a blue chip recruit, Diamador Lenore. They have five blue chip prospects playing on this defense right now. Mikhail Wright, Mace Funa, and Kayvon Thibodeau. All of them were class of 2019 kids. They're all true sophomores. They were all four or five star prospects. And then, of course, true freshman Noah Sewell, who's a five star prospect. That's it. One upperclassman who's a returning starter who was a blue chip profile. And I've talked about at the beginning of this show and early on in this show, the gap between having consistent four, five, six, seven, the number seven ranked class in the nation and finishing 17, 18, 19, 20. It's not three or four, four star kids. It's 10, 11, 12 blue chip prospects. Oregon's got a huge haul in the last three years of elite, elite recruiting, multiple blue chip prospects, double digit blue chip prospects. That's going to matter And it's going to pay dividends next year and the year after and the year after. But right now, Oregon only has two recruiting classes of these monster recruiting classes on campus. True sophomores and redshirt freshmen and a true freshman class. Their third elite recruiting class, the one that we're talking about now preparing for the early signing period, they're still in high school. They're still in the fall, sem- the fall term, fall semester, however you want to say it, of their senior years in high school. And I get the naysayers who say, well, Oregon had the number 18 class three years before that. And they, four years ago, they had the number 22 class or 25 class. Sure. But again, the gap between 22 and 8 might be 10 blue chip prospects. I don't think people, one, understand how long it takes for a blue chip recruiting class to really pay dividends. It can take, you can have an immediate impact with a handful of guys, but if you want to feel the full saturation of that group, it's going to take two or three years. Oregon is just now feeling the impact of those true sophomores up and down the lineup. And some of them still haven't played because they're redshirt freshmen and they're true sophomores. Give it another year. Give it another two years. Right now, Oregon's roster might have 30, 40 blue chip prospects. If they continue doing what they've been doing, they'll be up in the 60, 70 range. The difference between 20, 25, 30 blue chip prospects and 40, 45 blue chip prospects is massive. So be patient and understand that even if this signing day doesn't lead to another huge, huge name on the board, Oregon's still going to do a great job. I do want to talk about the prospects they're looking at right now because they do have some wiggle room. And Oregon is still trying to recruit some blue chip talent. Will they add any to this class that, again, is number five in the nation on 24-7 sports and number three in the nation on rivals with 16 blue chip prospects? First of all, you know Kingsley and Ty are solid, the two five-star prospects, so you feel a lot of relief there. Your headliners are set. Could they add another headliner to that group? Well, Oregon's recruiting three five-star guys right now. Corey Foreman, who is the number one or number two prospect in the nation, depending on which site you use. 
JT Tuamalau, a five-star defensive lineman out of Washington, who is uh, either the number one or number two recruit in the nation, depending on which site you use. Corey and JT kind of flip depending on which site, but they're both one-two. And Oregon's in it for both of them, but they are a real long shot for Corey Foreman. I do not see that happening. There's there's an off, off, off chance uh, with Corey Foreman, but it, it's unlikely at this point. And, and the same can be said for JT Tuamalau. It does not look like Oregon will get either of those kids. Now, they could surprise, and you should never count out Mario Cristobal and his staff, especially their ability to close. We've seen it before. We saw it last year with Justin Flo, the five-star linebacker, the highest-rated linebacker to come out of California in 25 years. And we saw it the year before that with Kayvon Thibodeau. Everybody thought Alabama, day of. Everybody going into his commitment on ESPN said, it's probably going to be Alabama. And I remember tweeting, you know, probably going to be Alabama. Maybe it'll be Alabama, but not so fast because Crystal Ball was the national recruiter of the year for a reason. He could pull this off. The Oregon's still in play. And then sure enough, they got him. So Oregon's had this trend of kind of shocking the nation during the early signing period. So maybe, maybe, but it's unlikely. The other prospect Oregon uh, has been in the mix for throughout is is interior offensive lineman Bryce Foster. He's a five-star prospect on rivals. He's the number one throwing prospect in the nation in track and field. A lot of people early on thought Oregon had a shot with him, being able to pitch him on football. And uh, obviously the incredible track program in Eugene and Hayward Field, the environment there. But he hasn't gotten to visit. And without really getting to visit, without really getting to feel Autzen, and without really getting to feel Hayward during a meet and feel the energy there, I just don't see it happening. So I think Oregon is not going to get those three guys. And for a lot of people, you go, well, it sounds like they're going to end with a thud, these two D commitments. But again, remember, 10,000-foot view, the school's first-ever five-star quarterback, Ty Thompson, the school's first-ever five-star offensive lineman, Kingsley Suamataia. You're looking at the best wide receiver and tight end hall, arguably, in America. Troy Franklin is right on the bubble of being a five-star wide receiver. They've also got Dante Thornton out of Maryland. He's the number six wide receiver in the nation. They got Isaiah Brevard, who is a tremendous player. But when you look at this class, he's almost an afterthought in terms of the headliners. And he's an Under Armour All-American wide receiver. And then at tight end, you've got Maliki Matavau and Terrence Ferguson, who are ranked the number six and number seven tight ends in the country respectively, uh, on rivals. So it's an incredible, incredible recruiting class. You also found the best player in your home state, Keith Brown, the inside linebacker out of Lebanon High School, the All-American Bull selection. He's in this class. Jalen Davies, the Under Armour All-American corner, is in this class. The one place that things are are missing, frankly, and, and again, Oregon's still in the mix for a couple D linemen, but the one place this class is really missing things is the defensive line. And that really honestly falls in line with the results in the past few years. Everybody remembers Kayvon Thibodeau and credit to Keith Hayward uh, for, for securing his commitment. But Oregon's D-line recruiting the last few years has been a flurry of three-star prospects. And there's been a handful of good ones. And this class has a solid one in Keanu Williams. Keanu Williams is a consensus four-star prospect. He will be the uh, first four-star, the first consensus four-star prospect other than Kayvon Thibodeau that Oregon's gotten since 2016. So Oregon's really struck out there. And, and you look, and, and I had a chance to talk to Dave Bartu of College Football Matrix is, is his Twitter handle. Had a chance to talk to him a little bit about Oregon's defensive line recruiting. And, and he pointed me in an interesting, to an interesting, interesting stat. Oregon 
there's a stat out there basically that says if you look at an entire program, you can see kind of roughly how the program as a whole recruits. And then you break it down by position to see, you know, like for Oregon, for example, they tend to recruit really well at the quarterback position. They tend to recruit really well under Mario Cristobal at the offensive line position. At those positions, they recruit a little bit better than the rest of the program. So maybe they don't recruit as well at running back. Maybe they don't recruit as well star rating wise at defensive line. But the last couple of years, Oregon's recruited really, really well at linebacker. So their linebacker grade would grade out. So according to this metric, Oregon's D line recruiting compared to the rest of the program, there's a bigger gap with that position group than almost any other position group in the entire Pac-12 and Mountain West. This stat indicates that among defensive lines and among programs in the Mountain West Conference and Pac-12, the three schools that recruit D-line at a lower level than the entire rest of the programs or than the entire rest of the program are Washington State, Hawaii, and Oregon. Now, in a vacuum, Oregon obviously recruits much, much better than most Mountain West program at defensive line. Most Mountain West programs would kill to have Oregon's defensive line haul. But that's not what this stat is. What this stat, again, and I'm not explaining it very well, so I'm going to try. I'm going to give it another go here. What the stat is essentially is you take a look at what the program average star rating is per commitment across the whole program, and then you break up each class over the last few years by position group. So if their average star rating, we'll just make it easy, is three stars for a program, but every year they get four star quarterbacks every year, then their quarterback ranking is going to be really high. If they get offensive linemen who are two stars all across the board, their O-line ranking is going to be really low because it recruits at a lower level than the program, which as a whole recruits at the three-star level. Oregon's recruiting at a really good level right now. They're getting great quarterbacks. They're getting great defensive backs. They're getting great linebackers. They've got Noah Sewell and Justin Flo, the five stars here in this last class. Everybody knows how Mario Cristobal's done with offensive line the last few years. But the one area that's really trailing behind everywhere else on this Oregon football team right now is the defensive line. And that holds up in 24-7 sports recruiting rankings. You take a look at their assistant coach rankings and for recruiters in the class of 2021. And Oregon blankets the list of top recruiters. They've got the number one recruiter in the, in the Pac-12. They've got multiple in the top 10. And then way down the list at number 43, the 43rd best recruiter in the Pac-12 right now is Coach Joe Salavea, who's the defensive line coach. That has to get better. And now watch, they'll end up pulling off a, a massive, massive upset here, getting Corey Foreman or getting JT to him allow, and this whole thing will be a wash. I don't think it will. I don't think that's going to happen. And if it doesn't, defensive line is an area and the area right now that Oregon is recruiting much, much lower than the rest of its profile. It's something that needs to get addressed. So they have the number three class in the country, according to rivals, the number five class, according to 24 seven sports, you're listening, saying, Nimick, you're telling me they're not getting any of the big name targets left on the board, uh, uh, the headline type targets. 
Who else is there? Well, Oregon might go after a running back. They've offered Byron Cardwell. They've got a chance with him, but it won't come this week. Byron Cardwell wants to wait. He wants to commit on January 25th, and then he will sign during the traditional signing period in February. He is the number eight running back in the nation, the number one running back in the West region. I had a chance to talk to him last week, and his basic premise was, I like Oregon. They're a bit of an unknown. I need to make sure I fit their system. I need to make sure I bond with the coaching staff because I'm hearing from a lot of schools. And boy, is he. He's, he's, he listed a top six or seven that included Cal, Florida, Florida State, UCLA, USC. The kid has options. So if Oregon's able to pull that off, that's a whole nother layer that we've never really seen Oregon pull before. You look at last year's recruiting cycle. Clemson wanted Justin Flo. They wanted him, five-star linebacker, big-time talent. When it looked like they weren't going to get him, they pivoted. And late in the process, they offered a different five-star linebacker. And I'm talking about like two weeks before the early signing period. They offer a different five-star linebacker. He visits that weekend and commits. That's a different level. When you're able to pivot off a missed guy that would be a big-time guy and offer another athlete late who would be most programs headliner, And in a week or two weeks or three weeks, just the opportunity to play for your program is enough to beat out schools that have been recruiting him for years. That's a layer that only right now belongs to Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson, and LSU. Those are the programs that are able to pull that kind of thing off. If Oregon's able to pull off this Byron Cardwell commitment, it would show another layer. It would show Oregon can offer headline type guys late in the process and pull them away from big-time schools that have been recruiting guys for years. It's not the it, He's the number eight running back in the country, so it matters. His, his commitment would obviously, obviously matter. That's a big-time get. But I think even more than that is the symbolism of we can offer late and steal headline-type talent late in the process with the December offer. And I think that's an unprecedented move for Oregon. And again, it's a the type of move that only a handful of programs could possibly pull off. The other place, obviously, everybody's looking is the transfer portal. Where does Oregon finish this class? Okay, number five on 24-7 sports, number three on rivals. I'm going to keep hammering that home. But what else is on the table? What else could they do? Well, it might not help the ranking, but I do think Oregon's going to hit the transfer portal and hit it hard. And it's not real hard to speculate. You can sit at home. You don't need to work at the Oregonian. You don't need to have a podcast to be able to tell where a program needs transfer portal help. Because that's plug and play help. That's plug it in. Next year plays right away. Where's Oregon struggling? They're struggling at defensive line, particularly a nose tackle, especially if Jordan Scott moves on. They're struggling potentially in the defensive backfield, and they could use another wide receiver. They went and recruited a bunch of really, really talented wide receivers, but they're going to come in and be true freshmen. And as great as Chris Hudson was all fall camp, and if you watched anything covered, any listened to anything, read anything, all anybody talked about was how great Chris Hudson looked in fall camp. Future superstar. Still think that. He's averaging a couple of targets a game. It is really hard for a true freshman, even when they're breakout stars in camp from being productive Pac-12 players day one. And Oregon needs a day one guy. I could see with Kyron Ware Hudson moving on, flipping to USC, Oregon going after a wide receiver. And and one of the most likely targets in the transfer portal right now is Samori Torrey. 
kid grew up at Westview High School, not that far away, two-hour drive away, uh, roughly, from Eugene. He wants to come back home. He was an FCS All-American last year in the the FCS playoffs. He broke Randy Moss's single-game record for receiving yards. Yes, Samori Tori broke Randy Moss's receiving single-game receiving record. Uh, Samori Tori had over 1,400 yards. He had in the teens in touchdowns. He's a big-time, big-time, big-time talent. Six foot three, 180, 190 pounds. Uh, an immediate guy that could play opposite Devin Williams. And then obviously you've got all those kind of smaller uh, talent receivers that can play underneath Jalen Red obviously can come back you've got Chris Hudson who's going to take another uh, step towards developing here and then you've got those freshmen coming in that might complete their receiving core in a big big way you got Samori Torrey on one end you got blue chipper Devin Williams on the other end and then a lot of younger guys that you can mix and match uh, depending on on situation and personnel you want to go with to really optimize your receiving core I think that makes some sense now, Samori hasn't confirmed to me in any way that Oregon is pursuing him. And Oregon obviously can't talk about the transfer portal, so we don't know. But that makes some sense. The other guy that makes a lot of sense is Siaki Ika. If you've been following recruiting for a number of years, you remember the recruitment of Siaki Ika. Big time, future nose tackle. Oregon really wanted him. He went to LSU. And he went to LSU in part because of their 3-4 front. Well, they've switched to a 4-3. And Siaka Ika, who wasn't a bust, wasn't an off-the-field guy, uh, problems guy, he just, they switched schemes and he didn't fit, but he was playing early for LSU and being productive early at LSU. Siaki Ika enters the transfer portal. Oregon finished second or third in his recruitment. I could really easily see Oregon saying, hey, if Jordan Scott moves on, we have an opening right here and we need to stop the run. We could really use you. Siaki Ika is a name to watch in the transfer portal. And then the other place we've seen some weakness right now is that secondary. You know, you lose three guys to opt-outs. Diamador Lenore could enter the draft after this season. They are going to need help in that secondary. Jadarius Perkins, the JC corner, decommitted. If he comes back in the fold, great. If not, Oregon clearly identified that they'd like some depth at corner. So I could see them adding a corner or a safety in the transfer portal, and that's the way things are kind of shaking out right now for the Oregon Ducks. It's a great recruiting class. I'm hearing I'm hearing a lot of negativity right now about this class, given that it's a top five class in the nation. I, I'm not hearing, oh my gosh, this is so incredible. I'm so excited for signing day. This is going to be amazing. The number one wide receiver tight end hall in the country, a five-star quarterback, a five-star offensive lineman, an All-American in the secondary, an All-American at linebacker, uh, the number one and number two offensive tackles in the West region, the number two guard in the West region, the number one center in the nation. That's not what I'm hearing. What I'm hearing is 2D commitments, back-to-back, lose, uh, back-to-back losses, and honestly, Oregon fans a little bit are feeling a little Eeyore-ish. Take a step back. It's not ho-hum time. It is time to celebrate. And if this class signs as expected, it's the best haul in the history of the program. And it has three or four times as many four and five star prospects as some of the classes Oregon fans were getting excited about just four or five years ago. That's how good this group is. Celebrate. It maybe isn't exactly ending the way you'd hope with a pair of decommitments, but man, it is a special, special group, and there's still a chance that Oregon makes a splash during the early signing period, during the late signing period, and during the transfer portal. So buckle up. We are not finished. We'll be back after a short break. In a minute, we'll talk about the Beavers and how despite only an eight-commitment class, 
This group is a sign of progress for Jonathan Smith's program. The Oregon State Beavers. This is the lowest rated class in the Pac-12, but pump the brakes, Beaver fans, because you only have eight commitments. I repeat, eight commitments. This is a microscopic class. Oregon State is signing a third as many prospects as some of the rest of the schools in the country. Eight. They just don't have a lot of graduating seniors. And COVID has further complicated things because some of those guys can come back for next season. So now you've got a log jam. But Oregon State did a lot of good things. I really like quarterback Sam Vidlak at a Hidden Valley. I think he could have been a four-star prospect if he'd have been able to go on the camp circuit. Kind of a late bloomer, great baseball player, uh, and great athlete. Sam Vidlak is a great talent. Demir Collins is the number two running back commitment in the history of the program. The Jefferson all-purpose back. Demir Collins is rated lower only in the history of all the running backs. Think of Ken Simonton, Jaquiz Rogers, all those guys. Demir Collins is second in recruiting ranking only to Steven Jackson, who is an NFL superstar for the Rams. Now, I I can't remember if it was the St. Louis Rams, the Los Angeles Rams, (laughs) all the different variations of Rams that Steven Jackson could have played for, but the Rams. And everybody remembers Steven Jackson and how incredible he was. Demir Collins is a great back. And then on the defensive side of the ball, they landed Easton Mascarenas. Easton Mascarenas is a linebacker. He's the number 10 inside linebacker in the entire country. And according to some sites, depending on which site you use, he is the highest rated defensive high school player Oregon State has ever signed. That's a really good haul. That's a much better haul than what people think when they see last in the Pac-12. The reason they're last is because of the number of commitments, not because this isn't a solid recruiting class. The one area that I've had issues with Oregon State in the past few years in recruiting, and for good reason, is offensive line. The last couple years we've seen Oregon State late in this recruiting process, right when we get to around this time each year, you suddenly see Oregon State kind of sniffing around FCS prospects, trying to steal an offensive lineman from Montana, trying to steal an offensive lineman from Portland State. And I've said, that is not a recipe for winning. You cannot do that consistently for a number of years and still have success, not without hitting the transfer portal and saturating that group with some talent elsewhere, because that's not going to fly. You can't just have the best big sky line and win in the Pac-12. It doesn't work like that. But we've seen some progress on the field. Nathan Eldridge, the center transfer from Arizona, has done a really nice job. Uh, The developmental players that they've had in the program are doing a good job. And they're kind of pivoting away is what it looks like from offensive line. Every year, again, every year, the last three, four years, Oregon State has come down and said, okay, we got to recruit offensive linemen. We need one more offensive lineman. We need two more offensive linemen. And that provides the theater heading into the early signing period. That is the drama for Oregon State seemingly every year. Doesn't seem to be the case this year. It looked like it was going to. Marcus Mbau is signing during the early, uh, on the first day of the early signing period, Wednesday, December 16th. And I, I just don't necessarily see him choosing Oregon State. Dylan Rollins was a guy they were going after out of Montana. He chose BYU. Uh, Oregon State had a returning mission player, an unrated offensive lineman from the class of 2018. According to him, uh, Oregon State and him have not been in contact much at all as of late. And so it sounds like Oregon State's kind of pivoting away from him. I think he's looking at other options at this point, too. And that's probably a good thing. 
He was an unrated guy in the class of 2018. He hasn't played football in a couple years, and he was one of those offensive line commits. Instead, Oregon State's probably going to have some wiggle room to work. And you go, okay, Nemec, give it to me. Who are they getting? Who are they stealing? Well, Oregon State appears to be, based on what I can tell, I've reached out to a few Pac-12 commitments uh, at positions of need, and Oregon State has reached out to a number of kids. Oregon State is really working to utilize that spatula. Yes, flip recruits. Okay, bad, 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 bad. I won't use spatula anymore. But they're trying to flip recruits. And so they are really hard going after some of these good Pac-12 players that are committed to other schools. That's great. Again, they're not signed. I'm not talking about current players on other Pac-12 programs. I'm talking about verbal commitments. They can go after whoever they want. So Oregon State might pull off a surprise flip before signing day. If they don't, rather than go after offensive linemen and, you know, three-star low-level offensive linemen, I think Oregon State's going to go hit up the transfer portal. And you take a look at what they have, and I think Chance Nolan shows some promise, so you're probably okay at quarterback. You feel pretty good about your running back room with Jeremiah Jefferson and B.J. Baylor, and even if Jeremiah moves on, you got B.J. Baylor, you got Demir Collins coming in, you're good there. The receiving core looks great. Zariah Beeson looks like a future star. You've got a number of young receivers. You don't need a lot more, and you've already got Jimmy Valson in this class, the Texas wide receiver, six foot three, 180 pounds. He tweeted this week, he is solid in signing with Oregon State. That's good news because he was getting hit up regularly by multiple Power 5 conference programs since his commitment to Oregon State in October. There were programs that wanted to flip Jimmy Valson away from Oregon State. The fact that he's a, he's solid, he's signing with Oregon State, is huge. His offer sheet, impressive. He's a beef. Offensive line, Oregon State looks like they're ahead of schedule. I don't think they need the offensive line guys that you maybe thought they did entering this recruiting cycle. They got Henry Buckles. The Hood River Valley athlete out of Oregon, they feel good about him. And other than that, they like the youth movement coming up in that program. That's a good thing because they've had to use these late resources the last few years at offensive line. Don't have to do that. Maybe they can go in the transfer portal and pick up a D lineman. They've got a really good linebacking core. It's pretty young. It's a good group. They might pick up another linebacker or they can pick up somebody in the secondary with Jaden Grant kind of thriving and potentially uh, moving on to the NFL draft here after this season. So, they have some wiggle room. And when you've got eight commitments, a lot of the time the reason you have eight commitments is because you have no wiggle room or you weren't able to land kids. It's not the case this year. Oregon State got some really good talent. I think their top three or four commitments are big-time commitments. Really, really good players. They filled out their needs elsewhere, and I think they're going to have two, three, four scholarships to work with here to hit the transfer portal and go get really talented players. You're not going to be thrilled on signing Day Beaver Nation. You're not going to look at this recruiting class and say it's a top 25 group. You're not going to look at this recruiting class and say, hey, we jumped into the top six of the Pac-12. You're not going to do that. There just wasn't enough spots. But man, if I'm an Oregon State fan, I'd be really happy because the nucleus is a solid eight. You feel good about the eight you've got. And instead of forcing the issue and going and getting a two-star guy here, a three-star guy here, you leave those scholarships open and you attack the transfer portal. And we've seen Oregon State's had success hitting the transfer portal. Tristan Jebbia, transfer. Avery Roberts having a huge year, transfer. Addison Gums, when he gets on the field, they project him to be really talented. Tyjon Lindsay brings a nice little wrinkle to this program. There are a number of transfer portal guys who have served Oregon State well, so I think they're going to be able to do that again. This is a program that's probably a bad spot in Seattle and a healthy Jeremiah Jefferson against Utah away from being 4-1. and 
they're further ahead than you think. So don't panic when you see a recruiting class that's 12th in the Pac-12. That's it for the first edition of The Recruiting Trail. Uh, Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Rate and review us. Apple Podcasts is a great way to go to find the show. Subscribe and it'll automatically download and automatically upload so you can go ahead and listen to that. And like I said, uh, we're going to have regularly scheduled shows with guests, coaches, players, uh, breaking down the Ducks, the Beavers, Oregon High School football and basketball. But also, and I'm really excited to do this because it's a home studio, we will also have breaking news podcasts. We will be able to when there's a big commitment, when a Demir Collins chooses Oregon State, when a Ty Thompson becomes a five-star quarterback and gets an All-American Bowl presentation jersey. Uh, We'll be able to jump in a podcast and break down in a quick hitter, six, seven minutes, what that means for the future of the program. So you will be up to the minute with the recruiting trail brought to you by the Oregonian, Oregon Live, and me, your host, Andrew Nimick. Thank you for listening.